The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. And welcome to it. Yeah, we're here, ready to go. John Scholes here, Employment Law Show. And from San Firu to Markin, LLP, uh, you know, stlawyers.ca. You can reach out anytime. Would be my good pal, Chris Justice. That's not his wrestling name. That's his actual name, Chris Justice. He's our lawyer on the show today. Chris always joining me on the show and on TV as well. You want to go to employmentlawyer.ca for details on where to catch other broadcasts and our TV show too. But uh, you want to reach out now, we'd uh, love to get you on air. You got some questions about uh, workplace rights, maybe your particular workplace, some problems happening there. Maybe you're sniffing around, your spidey sense is telling you something's coming down the pike you don't like. Could be a dismissal, maybe, maybe not, right? You want some information. In the meantime, Chris is going to talk to us about something that's on top of his mind. And we'll get into employee rights when a business is sold in between all your phone calls as you uh, bring those on. And it'll give you some contact information throughout the hour to get a hold of Chris when we're not doing the show. But uh, case of the day, pal, what do, you got, what do you got cooking? Yeah, so as we know, we talk about constructive dismissal a lot on this show. And, uh, you know, there's some examples of a constructive dismissal which is where there's been a big change to your employment that you don't agree with that are pretty easily uh, identified. Uh, you know, maybe someone takes a 30% pay cut. That's going to be a significant change, going to be a constructive dismissal. Someone gets a demotion maybe in their title or, um, you know, has to move a, a great distance away from where they were located previously. So there are definitely more clear-cut examples that I see uh, of constructive dismissals. But then there's also some more maybe nuanced forms of constructive dismissal, um, some some forms that may not be as abundantly clear. And I had somebody come to me the other day with a situation where they had been at a business or they, they, they were working at a business for about 15 years by now. And it was an administrative role. And a new boss or a new set of management had come in. And this you know, somewhat often happens, and, and with that comes a change maybe in strategy or planning or personnel. Um, but in this particular case, this new boss came in, starts taking responsibilities away from this guy. Um, not uh, Nothing major to begin with, um, just little bits here and there, but slowly starts to take away his responsibilities. Mm-hmm. And at the um, end of it, he's sort of sitting at his desk, not a whole lot to do. You know, he's got uh, some of his duties, some some minor duties still left from what he once had, but otherwise um, kind of twiddling his thumbs all day. And a lot of people might not mind this, you know, especially if their pay is not being changed or, or any other changes are happening. But this particular guy, you know, he wanted to be more productive. He was getting frustrated and he was getting the, the impression that they were sort of doing what they could maybe in hopes that he'd leave and then they could avoid paying maybe a severance uh, befitting of a 15-year guy. Um, the, the company sort of told him, you know, this is what they're going to do. This this new boss told him that this was the, the plan moving forward. And so eventually, like as I say, frustrated, he came to me and wanted to know, you know, what his options were. And, and even though this case is a bit more nuanced and that, you know, slowly over time duties were taken away, um, it, it was still ultimately as, as clear-cut of a constructive dismissal as, you know, a situation where someone's pay is cut in half. Um, but not a lot of people know this. And, and I find, unfortunately, that people are too silent for too long when things like this happen, yeah. you know, when these minor changes occur. 
Um, they think maybe, ah, it's not that big of a deal. And then, you know, fast forward two years later, and a job's very different. And that was somewhat like this guy's situation, though. He didn't wait nearly as long. Um, and so ultimately, I'm hopeful that I can help him out. Um, you know, I mentioned he's there for 15 years, constructive dismissal, probably owed at least a year of severance. Um, but he did address this with me relatively early on, even though he, he saw it coming. But I think that's the problem most people have, is they wait a long time. And even if there is a clear-cut constructive dismissal, the fact that you've waited so long, yeah. the fact that maybe you haven't voiced your opinion, uh, maybe you've dealt with it internally, which is fair enough, but it just doesn't help you when it comes to a case. And so when it comes to these things, even if you get the sense of something that might be happening, always best to get some legal advice, to speak to a lawyer, um, because, yeah, you may not think much of it then, but uh, the, the ramifications later on can be so drastic, and, and you can just be, unfortunately, in a situation where you, you feel as though you're in this toxic work environment, but then the risks may be high enough where you don't want to pursue or can't pursue something. So you want to give me a shout, but this was sort of an example where, you know, there are multiple forms, like I say, of constructive dismissal, and... Um, you know, it doesn't have to necessarily be adding a bunch to your plate or cutting your pay drastically in half. It could be something like this as well. Because after a while, you'll have deemed to accept it if you let this fester for too long, right? Yeah, yeah. It's very difficult. Like, actually, I had uh, not too long ago another gentleman who um, had had his pay cut, and mm -hmm. it was cut by about 20%. And I said to him, you know, had you spoken to me when this first occurred, I would have said definitively this on its own is a constructive dismissal. Now, he didn't do that. He waited. Um, but there was evidence of, I'd say, three or four months of emails between him and the boss where essentially in every email where they're talking about work or stuff to be done, he's complaining about the pay cut. And he's saying, you know, we still haven't addressed my pay cut. You've taken $400 away from me or $500 away from me uh, every week that you were paying before, and, and this needs to be addressed. And so even though some time passed, there was this clear record of dissent, of objection, almost working under protest. And, and it, not to suggest that you necessarily do this instead of speaking to a lawyer from the get-go, but in this particular case, at least with that passage of time, because there were all those communications and evidence, he could at least show, like, look, I was working under protest and, and have a better I, uh, argument to say I was effectively dismissed on this day you changed my pay. Let's get into this, pal. Before we break, we've got a few minutes uh, left in this uh, opening segment. Employee yeah. rights when a business is sold, and these things may come as a shock or a surprise to a lot of people. Those who have listened to the show for years will know most of the stuff, but that's okay. We'll go through it again. Uh, the first one, uh, Chris, is this. When a business is sold, do the employees automatically, automatically get severance? What do you think? Yeah, so the answer, quick answer is no. But just before that, I think it is um, important we discuss employee rights when a business is sold just from a topical sense because I've been seeing a lot in the news of various companies um, being acquired being bought out um, you know whether partially or fully and there be scenarios where existing employees who are at the, the business that's being sold are there for a long time and and yeah then this this new buyer comes in and says we're taking over and yeah, a whole, whole sort of different things can happen from there. And, and I think it's good to get some advice, as I say, especially now when I'm seeing so much of it pop up in the news. But when uh, when a business is sold, do employees automatically get severance? The answer is no. Uh, severance is not paid um, just automatically by virtue of a business being sold. But, um, you know, if with the sale comes you being out of a job, you know, as if as a result of the sale, you're out of work, you're no longer employed, 
then uh, you know the company that sold the business obviously is determined you're not continuing on, and the purchaser may not be offering you any any kind of deal going forward. Then you are going to be entitled to full severance from the seller um, if you're not being offered anything as a result, and that's going to be based on those standard you know factors: someone's age, the length of service they have, the position they held, you know what kind of is available out there that would be similar. So you get your full severance from the seller if that happens, but if you're hired by the new company. Um, that new company generally will inherit your service from day one with the seller. So then if you get let go uh, at some point later on with the new company, again, generally speaking, uh, you're going to be owed your full severance based on not just your time with that buyer, but also with the seller, whether that's one year, five years, you know, 25 years for, for that matter. Which brings about the second question, and you kind of you kind of you kind of drifted over there, which is good. So, what happens mm-hmm. to an employee's length of service if they continue working? So, you've been at the company for twenty five years, gets sold yeah. a new employer, says, "Okay, we're all good to go. Here's your parking pass." You step foot in the workplace. Now you're working for them. What goes on with that uh, length of service? Yeah. So again, generally speaking, that service will be inherited. Uh, that buyer now is going to be on the hook, at least to some degree, for those years that you've put in. So that yeah, there's not going to be a scenario where, uh, again, generally you're you're sort of joining a buyer and then maybe months later you get let go and all you're considered is just an employee with a few months of employment. But there is actually the possibility that that could happen um, if the the new company, the buyer that's coming in, has you sign some sort of a contract or maybe not even a fully fledged contract. It might just be a page or two that that you don't view as an employment contract. But something that deals with your past service, they, there can technically be a clause or a section in that, in that document that says we aren't actually going to be recognizing the previous service you have with the, the seller, the, the purchase, uh, the, the place that sold the business to us. And so that's actually a scenario where you could join the buyer, sign some sort of contract, get let go maybe less than a year in, and then you're only getting a week or two of severance because you've signed this thing versus, yeah, like if you've been with the buyer for 25 years, uh, in that hypothetical, you could have got as much as two years of severance. So there is some exception to, um, you know, how the length of service works if someone continues on, but uh, that's why you got to be watchful, of course, for those those clauses or contracts. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a, a bit of a dice game. I mean, you think if you've only been there for a year or two, and the, and the new company gives you that type of contract, you really love the gig. It's like ah, I'm not done. It's not a big sacrifice, but yeah, if you got twenty five, thirty years in, and you give that up with a signature, man, you're just tying your own noose, right? Potentially, potentially. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. I I had uh, again not too long ago some people come to me. Uh, there had been a purchase of a business, and the new company was offering these people continued employment. But it was also subject to a contract. And when I looked at the contracts, there was a termination clause in there that basically said, you know, if if this new company ever lets you go, we don't have to pay you what you would have been paid had you been let go from the seller. Mm Because the seller had no contract with these people. There was nothing in place. So them being there for 30 years... They could get upwards of two years of severance, but yep. now with this new contract, it's basically limiting their rights. And what ended up happening, actually, in the, in these cases, is there was a negotiation where if they ever were let go in the future, the buyer would not only have to pay them whatever they're owed at minimum by law, 
but an additional like lump sum payment to wow. sort of compensate or make up for the fact that the seller was no longer going to be on the hook for that. Right. And, and that's ultimately what got these people to join the buyer's business. So there was some negotiation, as I say, with the new contract to make sure that, yeah, they weren't giving up effectively what the rights would have been previous to that contract. And there's a whole host of ways you can sort of deal with these matters, but absolutely you want to get a lawyer's advice first before you just sign something, even if you think uh, I really want to join and stay with the company because I've got this secure position. And with that, we'll take a quick break here, get back into more of that topic, employee rights when a business is sold. We, uh, we continue employment law show. Stand by. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. You betcha. Back at it. John Scholes, Chris Justice from uh, ST Lawyers, Samfiru Tamarkin, LLP. Want to reach out any time to Chris for your own conversation? Off air, no problem. 1-855-821-5900. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. We're talking about employee rights when a business is sold. So it's a scenario, Chris, uh, you know, if the employee doesn't want to take the job in the new company for whatever reason, I mean, is that a resignation? Is there any entitlements? Is there any severance sewing? I guess you're going to start that with the lawyer answer of, it depends. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, you're right on the, the spot there. So, um, yeah, it, it kind of depends on the reason, yeah, why the employee's not taking the new job with the new company. Um, so, uh, for example, if you are working, let's say, some administrative role, you work Monday to Friday, 9 to 5, you're making 50K a year, yeah. and then this buyer comes in and says, we want you to work maybe nights now or weekends or... Uh, you know, maybe obviously less pay, you know, going back to the, the constructive dismissal stuff we were talking about earlier. If, if you're looking at this sort of offer, let's say, that's been presented by the buyer and, and you see these drastic changes, then that's typically going to be a good reason for you to not accept that package. Um, but there are also other reasons you may want to not take on continued employment with the buyer that aren't necessarily, I'll say, good reasons under the eyes of the law. So say you want to uh, retire, maybe go back to school, mm-hmm. um, you know, get a different education, maybe just pivot completely uh, towards something new, maybe just spend more time with your family, your loved ones, whatever the case may be. Um, you know, you're going to get severance either way, either reason. But if it's if it's the latter, the second set of reasons I gave, you're probably only going to be getting your minimum severance entitlements uh, okay. in that case. Right. And again, that will sort of depend on how long you've been there. But the most someone, at least in Ontario, can get from a minimum perspective is about 34 weeks of pay, okay. um, which is about seven, eight months. Now, if you've got that good reason, though, and, and there's sort of a different title you're being given or you're being told to work some further location away or, again, your pay or your hours are changed and you turn that down, then you are typically going to be able to get full severance, at least from the seller. And again, that would be based on your the terms of your employment with the seller. So I, I mentioned before the break, there were some individuals that didn't even have a contract with the seller, and gotcha. they were being presented with very different offers from the buyer. If they had turned those down, the seller, like I say, would be on the hook for all those years, uh, full severance, because there's no contract in place. So it'll come down to the reasoning. Um, but as I say, either way, you're, you're still going to get severance. It'll just be whether it's your, you know, closer to your full severance entitlements or mm-hmm. just the minimums uh, based on the legislation. Marcia, thanks for taking the time this morning. Good morning. How are you? Not too bad. How are you? Excellent. What's uh, what's on your mind? 
Okay, um, age 67, 40 years of service. Um, January 23rd, I was told they sold the business. February 2nd or 1st, the new guy took over. Um, I had no option whether to stay or go. Um, I have my same position. I had talked to the um, to the owners prior to that saying that I would stay on with them. Mm-hmm. And... Like I said, I I had no idea. I knew they were looking, but it was right. just, hey, you know, business is sold. February first, he's coming in. Okay. Now, um, as far as the actual impact to your job, you know, if we compare sort of the before and after, you know, before the new guy comes in, and and then after they come in, is there any big change to your job day to day, or did it no. sort of? It was pretty seamless. It's just now you've got somebody else paying your checks. Basically, yeah, I have a few extra duties, but okay. And and are you are you happy with this? It, it, are you looking to leave, um, or are you just sort of wondering maybe what your options are? Um, I'm 67. <laughs> I would right. like to retire. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, I I hear you. It seems like, though, in this particular case, uh, there's been a relatively seamless transition, and if there haven't been any changes, let's say, to your job, you mentioned a couple duties being added, so that that could be something to investigate. But if there had been no changes and you just worked as though nothing almost ever happened, uh, other than, as I say, a different name being on on the paycheck, um, then it's going to be more difficult for you to leave and you know go after at least your full severance entitlements. Now, you've been there for quite a long time all in, and you could get uh, at the very least maybe as much as seven or eight months of severance, but normally if you were let go, let's say terminated by the company with 40 years in, you could also get as much as two years of severance. So there's a big difference in your case between what your maximum potential severance entitlements are and what your bare minimum severance entitlements are. But if you do want to leave regardless, then then you may not have as much leverage. And I would suggest give us a call because there still should be a way to get you some severance. If, if that's what you want at the end of the day, it just may not be, uh, as I say, 100 cents on the dollar. Uh, unless there, there are those big changes. And if that starts happening or continues to happen, you actually might have more leverage to say, you know, this isn't what I've signed up to do. Um, things were a lot different with the with the seller. Um, yeah. Am I on the air? Yes. You, you are? Oh. No. Just making sure. <laughs> All right. Marcia, you can no reach worries, out but I, I, for sure. I, yeah, definitely give me a call. Um, yeah. Like I say, if, if you want out, we can try to engineer an exit for you that could work and also just get some more information from you. But, yeah, like I say, there are situations where someone new could come into the fold and you may want to leave at that point and not necessarily have the grounds to go after that full severance. Marsha, going uh, going forward to this, if you you want to call Chris uh, after the show and beyond one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred help at employmentlawyer.ca to reach out through uh, through email. Kevin, thanks for hanging on, pal. Through the uh, for, through the first call, how are you? Hey, good, thank you. Good. What's on your mind? Question for your guest: uh, Can you explain the process of termination through innocent absenteeism? Yes, so there are situations where someone is absent from the workplace. Um, 
obviously there are situations where they're absent for no good reason, and then there's in, uh, situations where there is a good reason. Say there's a medically related reason they can't show up. Um, or, or just say maybe it's inadvertent and it happened on a very few occasions. Those, those things are going to be treated very differently. Um, now, now, first of all, an, a company can let you go pretty much for any reason they want, as long as it's not outright discrimination. doesn't even have to be the best reason. It could be that you just don't show up for work one day. They can actually just let you go for that, but they'll have to pay you severance. They'll have to give you your full severance rights. Um, it, it becomes more of an issue where somebody is absent multiple times for uh, what's being alleged as no good reason or not at least a good enough reason. So maybe it's not medically related. If, if that happens and there's excessive absenteeism that's not, um, I guess, justified, we'll say, and, and let's say warnings are given, you know, we want you to show up, then of course there is going to be a point in time where a company is going to say, enough's enough. You're not showing up. We don't, we don't like the reasoning for why you're not showing up. We've warned you multiple times and we're letting you go and may actually have grounds to let you go and not pay you any severance. Now that's very rare. Um, but, but there are situations where that can happen. Um, but as I say, if there's some element of a medical situation, then employers are going to have to really be um, careful what they do because they could also let somebody go for being absent, not knowing or, or ought to have knowing that it was medically related and then be on the hook for not just the severance but the human rights uh, component as well. So, I mean, you, you've mentioned the phrase innocent absenteeism. I, I guess the question would be, Specifically, why is is the person being absent? Maybe how many times has it happened, and you know, is it going to continue to happen? Uh, it's been over the course of a couple of years, and it keeps happening. You know, occasionally, just a, a week here, a day here. Uh, for example, twenty-two days this year alone. But he's always had the doctor's notes to uh, cover himself. Okay, so so each of these occasions, there's been some sort of medical support provided to say that this person is absent due to a condition. Yeah, it's been going up probably three years. So. Well, I guess one thing would be: are the is it all legitimate? You know, I mean, not to cast doubt on doctors. Um, for the most part, it seems in my experience they are, but. Maybe there could be some investigation there, although you want to be careful as an employer that you don't go too far because you're only entitled to certain information, things like um, you know, what someone's restrictions or limitations are and how somebody has to be off for. Now, it could cause a disruption to the workplace, and, and it could mean that over time uh, the ability for that person to perform their job is, is significantly hampered. And that could be a reason for potentially letting them go and not risk the human rights element coming in. But you still want to be careful. Are, are you calling on behalf of the employer? Uh, no, I, I'm a union steward. I'm representing somebody that's going through this right now. Uh, okay, okay. Well, I will say, though, um, my work specifically deals with non-unionized matters, and although I think most of what I said probably still applies in the union context, um, of course, the collective bargaining agreement and the union reps are going to be the ones to go to there. Um, but I do think if it's, if it's justified, if it's medically related, even if it is an inconvenience to the employer, there's got to be an accommodation, at least from a non-unionized perspective. There's got to be that duty to accommodate, and the employer, at least, again, from a non-unionized perspective, has to go to the point of undue hardship to prove that, you know, enough's enough, they can't accommodate the person anymore, and they just have to let them go or whatnot. But that's still a long road to travel for employers generally, and um, as I say, if you've got the support of your doctors, that's going to give you a big, I think, leg up if you're the employee. 
want to get to Mike here quick, uh, Chris, before we take a break, a minute or two. Yeah. Mike, go ahead, pal. What do you think? Hey, Mike. We got Mike? Nope. No. Okay, Mike. Awesome. We're going to put Mike on hold. Then we'll take a break. Then we'll come back. And we'll, uh, we'll rock on more. The Employment Law Show is coming right up. Stay with us. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. And we're, uh, we're back at it. Thanks for sticking around. John Scholes here and Chris Justice from ST Lawyers. You want to reach out any time to Chris, have your own chat. You can do so. Got some matters need to be taken care of. Chris is your guy. Always one 855 Help at employmentlawyer.ca is the email address and the website you can use anytime. It was uh, built and constructed just to make you smarter, really simple to navigate. There's contact information there and access to the old trusty servants calculator, which millions, and I mean millions of Canadians, have uh, taken out for a spin and realized, oh boy, that employer owes me a lot more money. That is at pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Mike, I think I got, uh, I got you now, pal. How are you? I'm pretty good, John. Uh, good morning, uh, and thanks for taking my call. Good morning, Chris. You bet. Good morning. Go ahead. Sorry. In my situation here, I've been working for this company for 23 years, and when I was hired, I was told that uh, we we only have to work uh, seven and a half hours and paid for eight hours because lunch break would be paid for, which has been happening for the last 23 years since I've been there. Now we have a new manager manager now who decided that uh, he want to take away that half an hour paid lunch. And asking us to work eight, eight, eight and a half hours now to compensate for that half an hour lunch, paid lunch that we were been getting for twenty three years. That been I have been getting for twenty three years. So I just want to know if it's that legal and from the company perspective that they can do that after that okay. uh, twenty three years of established practice. Yeah, it definitely seems like a change. So basically, they want you now to work an extra hour uh, a day um, and also be paid a half hour less a day to make up for how things had been prior, right? Well, I don't know if it's an hour, but it's an hour, the hour, the half an hour lunch break, they want you to work half an hour more to compensate yeah. for that half an hour, yeah. Well, yeah, you were saying seven and a half hours a week and now it's eight and a half hours? Well, it would be, you work seven and a half, you get paid for eight. So now if they take away, they deducted a uh, half an hour, maybe, yeah, it would, it would be eight and a half hours, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So so this could definitely be an example of a constructive dismissal. Um, I, I don't know how much communication you've had with them about the changes, if you've, uh, I mean, God forbid, signed anything already by now. But, no, no, I um, haven't, but I... I spoke to him and I spoke. I was telling him that I don't think they can. They have the legal grounds to do that. Well, yeah, it just goes back to this idea of somebody expecting a certain way of things happening, right? You know, I signed up to do this job, work these number of hours, get paid this amount of money, and now someone's coming in and making changes, changing things around without my consent. You know, after all these years of it being an established practice and I'm not agreeable to that. And there are those instances where you can take a stand, where you can basically say, um, you know, this isn't what I signed up to do. This isn't something I'm agreeable to do. I am ready, willing, and able to do what I've been doing for the last however many years, but this is sort of where I draw the line. So if you guys are going to, you know, make this an ultimatum or or say this is non-negotiable, 
you know, please let me know or confirm for me in writing. Always good to have a record. Um, and then at least that way they can come back and say, you know, it is what it is, our way, the highway, or maybe there's a possibility to negotiate and that could start something. But I would suggest getting in contact with a lawyer, getting some legal advice and maybe having them guide you through that process if you do really uh, want to take a stand. Because there are also some occasions where it may not be worth it to the employee um, if the employer is digging in to go down the constructive dismissal path to, to potentially pursue legal action. You know, there's sometimes more practical reasons, but anyways, these would all be things considered, I think, in your consultation with the lawyer, and, and that would be probably my advice at this point. All right. Thank you. Thank you. So Thanks, Mike. Appreciate day. the, uh, you bet. Appreciate the call, pal. You know how to reach out uh, going forward. If not, I'm going to, well, I'm going to tell you again right now so you can, uh, you can follow up. 1-855-821-5900. one 821 5900 From there, we will go to an email, help at employmentlawyer.ca. But I want to work our way down this list, pal. Workplace harassment still, if you can believe it, Chris, mm, a huge yeah. topic in today's workplace. But, um, you know, it's, 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 it's easy to say it's workplace harassment. Kind of a broad, broad topic what is what is considered workplace harassment legally speaking of course yeah it is broad um and you know basically referring to any conduct that's unwelcome or i'll say reasonably considered to be unwelcome now as i say that's a broad definition and there are definitely circumstances where somebody may feel as though they're being uh, subjected to harassment and it's either not that maybe it's some form of micromanagement that could be as i say interpreted as harassment but i will say that there are of course varying degrees of harassment and sometimes not all i'll say not all unwelcome conduct would be on their on its own uh considered harassment where you can leave the job let's say and go after them for severance but it is a it is nonetheless a, a broad definition as i say this this unwelcome conduct so it could be Something coming from a boss or a manager, maybe a coworker, that can be workplace harassment. Um, you know, obviously using profanity, shouting at people, uh, talking down to someone, belittling them, making fun of somebody, uh, excluding you from meetings, you know, or setting you up to fail. Uh, especially when things are in the presence of others and there's some added embarrassment or maybe humiliation there. I mean, that that can all easily fall under harassment. Um, and, and something that ultimately creates a poison work environment. So if this is sort of the situation you're in or things that you're experiencing, you definitely at least want to get some legal advice and, and flesh it all out because, yeah, based on those examples I've given anyways, there's a good chance you, you'll be a, a victim of workplace harassment. Does the employer have an obligation to address the situation or how far do they have to go? Because sometimes they're a little lax about that, right? Yeah, just in general, I'll say, when it comes to an employer's obligations, as far as the possibility of workplace harassment, they've got to have these proactive obligations put in place. They've got to have policies put in place. Um, there are definitely still instances where I'll talk to somebody and the company won't have a harassment policy in place or won't have any real guidance on what to do in a situation like this. And, and that's a huge problem, not only from the, the law's standpoint, but then from the, the ability of someone to maybe leave in that instance and seek full severance. So having that policy in place, um, something setting out, this is what you're supposed to do. You know, if you've got an issue, you, you raise your issue to this person, or, you know, maybe if that's the person who is the problem, uh, have a backup. You know, if, you know th this might be in, in the alternate situation, what you should do. Um, some alternate complaint process, but you've got to have that policy. You've got to distribute it. 
uh, you got to make it you know very clear to employees and yeah even still today I, I find that that's lacking in a lot of cases yeah you can't just have it sitting in some file folder on the seventh floor you've got to actually make sure it's circulated read and even signed off on I guess too right yeah, that you understand it because yeah. if somebody doesn't know or nothing like that's been brought to their attention and then they are actually subjected to various forms of workplace harassment and they sort of, let's say, go through that um, pain and suffering without knowing what their avenues are, then yeah, absolutely, that can be a problem and sort of a, an aside to what they otherwise might be owed. Going to continue our uh, chat here about workplace harassment, maybe an email or question or two before we wrap up later on in the morning and we'll continue with more of the Employment Law Show. Hang in there. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Okay, talking about workplace harassment, we know what it is. We know about the employer's obligations to address it and have uh, proper documentation going forward that you should read and know the policies about harassment. Get it signed by all your employers or employees, rather. Um... What should someone do if they be think or after hearing the show especially realize, you know what, I may be experiencing some of these issues, Chris. What do I do? What's my first steps? Uh, yeah, so the first thing is, you know, if possible, try to fix the problem, um, be, you know, that the, uh, uh, that's occurring essentially. You know, speak to your employer, maybe HR. It's typically a first point of contact, maybe a boss, someone higher up. Um, make a record of it. I mentioned this earlier in the show. Making a record of things is very important, um, whether it's a text, an email, some sort of letter, something in writing that can actually provide the details of what's been going on. And, and like I say, make the company aware of those details so that at that, at that point, then the onus is on them to address the problem, to fix the problem. Um, but you do need to give them that opportunity. There are definitely legitimate situations where people undergo, you know, pretty serious things, but then it, it never really comes to light. No one ever finds out about it. They leave, and sometimes it can be a bit more tricky. So giving, in general, the employer at least that first opportunity to rectify the situation, always recommended for the most part, and then from there, you know, you might have some additional leverage based on how they respond or don't. You know, it's interesting. I guess it doesn't always matter, but it might matter depending on the size of the company you're working for, whether it's two, 3,000 people or more, it might not be a big issue. But if you work in a small shop where this is taking place and you want to bring it forward, I mean, any consequences for bringing forward your concerns? I mean, a lot of people would be a little gun-shy to do so if word spreads or, you know, yeah. whatever, right? What do you think? Yeah, so fear of reprisal, fear of retaliation, definitely yeah. a serious concern. Um, but an employee cannot be punished in any way for bringing up harassment obligation or um, harassment concerns, rather, uh, even if the ultimate conclusion is that there was no workplace harassment. Uh, the fact that someone you know raised a complaint still means they're protected from any form of retaliation. So that could be. Um, obviously a termination, which would be pretty clear-cut. There could be other forms of retaliation, maybe by changing their job or making things difficult. Um, and, and so the employer's got to be definitely wary of that and, and making sure they don't open up a huge can of worms by, by sort of adding that into the equation. Now, if I'm an employer, what does my response look like? Uh, so, yeah, again, uh, besides just having the policies, making sure they're well aware, everyone's well aware of the policies, uh, they can't turn blind eye towards these complaints, these, these issues. They need to investigate. They need to do so in a swift fashion. Um, you know, it's a very serious obligation they have to ensure that their workplace is free and clear of any harassment, of any sort of toxicity in that sense. 
Um, and the investigation generally has to be thorough. You know, it can't be some sort of quick little thing. Oh, here's uh, a couple days, one pager. We, we didn't find anything. There's got to be some mm -hmm. some detail, some some thoroughness to it. And, and depending on what the allegations are and what the situation is, they may actually have to. Uh, have an external investigator come in and perform the investigation themselves rather than have someone within the company who may be subject to bias, uh, which I, you know, see far too often these sort of, um, you know, working backwards from the conclusion that there is nothing or there is something against this person and kind of working from there, always a problematic thing. Um, but yeah, eventually there's got to be some resolution, some outcome reached, uh, and then again, depending on what that outcome is, the employee may not be satisfied, maybe nothing happened, or maybe someone just got a slap on the wrist when they should have got more. So th there could be some issues um, either way after that point, but at least, at the very least, they have to do that thorough investigation and come back with a, with a report and outcome. Just, uh, you know, we're talking about workplace harassment. It's still a big issue in the workplace. So what can the employee do if the employer won't deal with their, their concerns, valid concerns? Maybe the person you're supposed to go to, the boss or the higher-ups, are the ones doing the harassing. You feel like you're kind of painted into a corner, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So if you've if you've done everything you can, you know, if you've put that record in saying these are my concerns and, you know, maybe the company either just dismisses them outright, be a huge problem or does some faulty investigation not not you know saying any which way but some sort of faulty investigation is done and you're not happy with it then that employer could arguably be seen as having uh, basically failed in their duty to keep the work environment free and clear of harassment uh, mm -hmm. so there could be an issue there um, that on its own could result in the employee being forced to leave or feeling as though they have to leave which then could amount to a constructive dismissal you know you have breached you know my expectation that you'll keep this place safe by virtue of either brushing things under the rug or doing some you know faulty investigation and therefore you know I'm left with no other choice but to leave so that could be a possibility too um, and then also depending on the elements of the harassment maybe there's a sexual harassment component you then loop in human rights concerns there as well so yeah definitely a lot to consider for both sides um, and, and I think all the more reason why um, if, if you are in this situation, again, getting advice as soon as possible would be the best thing. Let's get our last minute and a half, two minutes here. Paul's going to take that with his email. It says, uh, Chris, my boss fired me after 10 years on the job, told me to accept severance of five months immediately. He said if I don't sign the release right away, he'd pull the offer off the table completely. I signed the release. I was under pressure, but now I want more severance. What can I do? Yeah, so definitely a tale of caution. Um, if you are being presented with a release to sign, you know, especially in the context of having been let go, you know, a lot of times you'll see, you know, here's a package, we want a response by X date. You know, for the most part, it's never in this particular case, immediately on the spot, I want you to sign it. But there's at least some pressure being put on you. And I think whether it's being put on you to have it done right away or even within a week, don't feel as though that's actually um, something that you have to adhere to. And if your employer is threatening to pull things off the table, if you don't sign within certain time frames, then even if you do sign it, you know, in this particular case, uh, there could be a huge issue of duress, that, that you signed under pressure, that, that yeah. it wasn't a voluntary thing. And, and even if you've got the signature, it's going to be a problem for the company. So they're not really interested for the most part in doing that. If you're in this guy's situation, then absolutely you want to give, give a lawyer a call, get some advice, because there probably is a way to get around the fact that you've signed it. But that said, it is still an uphill battle to, sh to prove, and all the more reason why you need to be extra cautious when, uh, 
when signing that release and get that advice before you sign it because, yeah, 10 years in, five months, you know, he could have been looking at or can still be looking at upwards of a year of severance potentially. For sure. And that'll just about do it for us. Appreciate your calls and emails if you had a chance to reach out. Thank you. If not, continue the conversation now that the show is done for a uh, for a Saturday. Chris is available at that number, one 821 5900 help at employmentlawyer.ca if you prefer the email route. And then finally, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca for all other concerns and some contact information. If not, the website's free and anonymous. You can just go click off and no one knows you're ever there. And uh, we know you're here, but we'll catch you next time right here on the Employment Law Show. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment.